This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. Have you ever wanted something really bad? There's been a lot of things in life that certainly at the time I, I thought I wanted really bad. Uh, we went to uh, Orlando, Florida in 2009. And I thought for a long time I really wanted, and I did, I really wanted to go back. It's something I really wanted. And eventually I've, I did get to go back. A lot of things in life I've found that, that I want, I, I've gotten. I've got to have them one way or another. And, and the truth is, I've noticed that what it is, is a lot of the things I want in life, I put myself in a position to, to have those things. I may be selfish in doing those and doing that sometimes. Uh, the point is, and, and the reason I bring it up is, there's a lot of things in life that we, we really want. You know, I really wanted a new phone when my old phone broke. I really wanted that. I felt like I needed that. My question for you this afternoon is, do you want Jesus? Do you want Jesus? And actually, the last couple of songs we listened to were, were really good in illustrating wanting and needing Jesus. Do you know what it's like to have Jesus? We get a, a small glimpse at, at what it is like to have Jesus very briefly, uh, just to read here about, about the eunuch. And it says, And when they were come up out of the water, this is after Philip has baptized the eunuch, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. That, that's what it's like to have Jesus. To have Jesus is, is to have what you, what you want, what you need. But do you want Jesus? Do you really want him? Now, you don't have to raise your hand or stand up and, and scream at the top of your lungs, but seriously answer for yourself, do I want Jesus? Do you want him? Because you can't have him. You can't. You cannot have Jesus. This afternoon, I, I want to tell you why you can't have Jesus. And I've got a list of about four or five or six reasons of why you can't have Jesus. Reasons we, we say we want him, but in the end we, we won't be able to have him. And the first of which is you can't have Jesus because you have other standards. You know, Jesus calls us to a certain level of standard and he expects certain behaviors out of us. He, he expects us to do certain things. And he has standards for us. But many people, and, and yourself may be included, they won't get to have Jesus because your standards just don't match up with his standards. We get an example of a standard that, that the scriptures that, that Jesus has for us in Matthew chapter 5. It says, Ye have heard it said, you've heard that it was said, rather, by them of old time, thou shalt not 
commit adultery, but I say unto you. Here, here is the standard that the world has had. Here is the standard that the, that the scriptures used to have, that the old law used to have. But Jesus says, I've got a higher standard for you. He says, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now, I don't necessarily want to talk about this verse per se, but the fact that uh, the point is that Jesus has a higher standard for you and I. You know, if you if you were to pull a random citizen of the United States and you said, if you just look at a woman to lust after her, is that adultery? I have a feeling they would probably say, that's craziness. There's nothing wrong with that. A lot of the world thinks that way today, right? But, but the Bible, but Jesus has higher standards for you and I. And he expects us to keep those standards. There, there's an expectation of our behavior and the things that we do in our day-to-day life. And folks, if you don't keep the standards that Jesus has, and if you have other standards, you can't have Jesus. I don't relish in that fact, but if our standards don't line up exactly as Jesus' standards, then then we don't get to have him. You know, the, the thing is, we tell ourselves that we have the standard that Jesus has, right? We tell ourselves, well, I would never do that. That's awful. I would never do that. But have we? Have we not necessarily this particular uh, standard, but in the standards that we find throughout the scriptures? One of those standards, uh, by example, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse number 13. It says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. You see, here's another standard that Jesus has for us. He's got kind of two in this one verse here. Number one is he wants you to understand. God wants you to understand. The standard is you need to understand that there's a way to escape. That, that you're not going to be tempted above what you're able that's the standard. You need to understand that. That this, there's not going to be a temptation that you cannot handle and that you cannot bear. And then the second part of that is that there is a way of escape. Now, now who here has that standard? That whenever there's a temptation, we find the way of escape and we escape. Is that your standard, Matt? That's my standard. That, that's my standard. But you know what? Sometimes I lie to myself. Sometimes I say, that's my standard. But then when I'm tempted, I don't look for the way of escape. When, when the rubber meets the road and when the temptation's there in my face, I, I don't say this to myself, but what I'm really saying is, forget about the standard. You, you want this. You're going to like this. And the fact is, if, if we don't hold this standard, we can't have Jesus. If we don't have the same standard as he does, then we can't have him. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Who has this standard? This is my standard. Is this your standard? 
Here's a standard that the scriptures have said. They said, you don't need to forsake the assembly or put other things above it or toss it to the side. And, and we all would say, well, that's my standard. I've got that standard too. But what about when something else comes up? What about when we already scheduled the vacation or, or something comes into our schedule and we got to go to it? You see what, see what I'm trying to... The point I'm trying to get across is we tell ourselves we have this standard, but do we submit to this standard? You see, what good's a standard if you don't submit to it? What good's a standard if we throw it out the window? What good's a standard if we abandon it whenever it's good for us and whenever it works out for us? I think you would all agree that it's not really our standard if we're willing to abandon it, abandon it in times whenever we feel like it. If you want to have Jesus today, you have to have his standards. And if you don't have the exact same standards as Christ, you can't have him. He's not going to accept people that, have, that hold different standards than the standards that he holds or the standards that he expects. I regret to tell you this afternoon that you can't have Jesus because you won't work for him. Not only will you not hold his standards, but you're not willing to even put in the work that he's asked you and called you to do. In Matthew chapter 28, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. This is my standard. Is this your standard? This is what I want to do. I want to work for him. When Jesus says, go and teach and baptize, you know what I want to do? I want to go and I want to teach and I want to baptize. But I got, you know, some things come up. He says, go and teach. And whenever I look back in my life, I've told myself, man, I want to evangelize. I want to start a study with somebody. I want to get somebody to church. I want to win a soul for Christ or or whatever it is in between there. And part of that reason is because this is what Jesus has told us to do. He said to go and to teach. But when I look back at maybe the last year of my life or over a certain period of time, I go, did I even try to do that? Did I even try? We all say we, we're workers for the Lord, that we want to work for Christ. Once again, you don't have to answer this out loud, but what, when was the last time you had a Bible study with somebody? Did you do it in the last month? In the last year? In the last two years? In the last five years? Have you ever had a Bible study with anybody ever? And you, but you tell yourself, I work for the Lord. I'm a worker for him. Is Jesus looking at anybody who's never done that and saying, they're a worker for me. They are working for my kingdom. I don't know that he can say he does. I don't know that he can say that you're working for him. I realize there are other ways you can work for the Lord. This isn't the only way that you have to work for the Lord. There are other things that we can do. But we take it a step further in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It says, I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. 
Now, hey, I've, I've had a Bible study or two in my day, but am I, am I addicted to the ministry? Am I addicted to this work? Let me tell you, if you can't have Jesus if you don't addict yourself to the ministry of the saints. You, you can't have Jesus if you don't addict yourself to his work. If you don't make it your priority, and if you don't put it in your life and make steps to make sure that that happens in your life. I wonder, does Jesus look at Zane and say he's addicted to the ministry? He's addicted to it. You know, I think I can see patterns in my life where I've had an addictive personality. We got a Nintendo Switch a few weeks ago, and it can be addicting. It is fun. I hadn't played Mario in years, and now I've played it for hours in the last few weeks. Hours. I have a very addictive personality. I could... could Drop everything and play that at any time. And I work from home. (laughs) I think I could let myself get addicted to that and and just play whatever it is. But I've never told myself, hey, if I don't watch out, I'm going to be addicted to church work. I'm going to be addicted to the ministry of the saints. But maybe that's an expectation, that, that we grab hold of it. You know what an addiction is? It's something that, that you have trouble letting go of. Something, something that you long for. Something that you want to do. Something that you think about often. And if you don't do it for a while, you miss it and you long for it and you desire it. I'm not saying to addict yourself to the ministry of the saints that it has to be your every thought and that you have to quit your job and, and only do that. But do you long for it? Do you desire it? Do you get joy from it? Do you want it and want to help the church? That doesn't just have to be going and teaching. Maybe that's uh, shaking hands with the visitor and, and doing other things, setting up Bible studies and activities, checking on people. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have we not cast out devils? In thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. There's going to be a lot of people on judgment day, the Bible says, that that comes to to the Lord and says, Lord, we, we we were working. We were always at church, Lord. Lord, we held the door open on Sunday mornings. Lord, we, we helped with communion one month out of the year. We were working. We were doing these things. And he, he's going to say, were you addicted to the work? Were you really working? Do you say that's what you were doing? Is, is that what we would tell somebody? You know, if somebody asked me, Zane, do you, are you working for the Lord? I said, yeah, I want to work for the Lord. But does my actions line up with that? Does my life prove that? You know who this is? Most of you probably are, are aware of who, who this is. This is Kobe Bryant. Played, in the, uh, played professional basketball for a long time. One of the all-time greats. What Kobe became known for, and he had a lot of success in his career, but what Kobe has become known for is his work ethic. Kobe was a worker. 
And whether you like him or not, personally, when he was playing, I was always found myself rooting against the guy. But I got to admire his work ethic. You, you hear story after story about uh, what he would do and what great lengths he would go to to work. They won the championship one year. And he, went to, he took his family to Disney World like a week or two later. And he got up at like 3 o'clock in the morning and drove an hour and a half one way to get to a gym. And would work out for two hours and make it back at about the time his family was getting up. And then they'd go walk around Disney World all day. I mean, he, he was a worker. That man in the top right, that's Jay Williams. He played for Puke, I mean Duke, whenever he was in college. National player of the year. Outstanding basketball player. And he went to the NBA, a story about Kobe real quick. He, he made it to the NBA and he was playing for the Chicago Bulls and he was getting ready for his first game against Kobe. Now Kobe had been in the been playing basketball professionally for a while with the Lakers and he decided he would go to the workout gym early that morning on game day and Jay Williams gets to the workout arena and who's there already but a man who's already been in the NBA for a while Kobe and Kobe whenever Jay Williams got to the to the gym was already drenched in sweat he'd already been working out for a while and so Jay Williams goes and he does his, his workout routine and goes through all his things. And he said he worked out real hard and he got done. He went over there and he sat down. He looked over and Kobe's still going. And he sat there and watched Kobe work out for another two hours. Full speed, like he was in a game, on game day. And he packed his stuff up and went. They had the game that night. He said, Kobe scored 40 points on me. And after the game, I had to know, Jay Williams says, I had to know why Kobe was doing that. And so he finds him after the game, and he says, Kobe, why? And he said, I knew you was in the gym. I saw you over there. And he said, I want you to know, I don't care how hard you work, I'm going to work harder. I don't care how many hours you put in, I'm going to put in more hours. Let me tell you, that's somebody who's addicted, addicted to his work. And addicted to his craft. And who wants to succeed. And you know what? Kobe's resume speaks for itself. Let me tell you, when you put in the work, you see the results. Kobe was a five-time NBA champion. An 18-time All-Star. 15-time All-NBA. 12-time All-Defense. 2008 MVP. Two-time Olympic gold medalist. And a unanimous member of the Basketball Hall of Fame. His work speaks for itself, doesn't it? What does your resume show as a Christian? You know, if we're working like this, if we're working anywhere near that level, I think we're going to have a resume to show for it. We're going to have something to show and we're going to have some kind of statistics. There's not a good word that I want to use there. I got to thinking about that and a question that really, really, it was tough for me to think about. Did Kobe Bryant train harder for basketball than I work for Christ? You know, it's very possible that there are hundreds of people out there in the world today that are working harder at putting a ball through a hoop than I work for, for my God, for my Savior, for the kingdom. Did Kobe have his teammates back more than I have your back? 
Did Kobe want to win the championship more than you want to go to heaven? He was willing to get up early for it and stay up late and work. Folks, I want to tell you, and I don't, I don't relish in this at all. You can't have Jesus if you won't work for him. You cannot have him. He's not an option. Finally, you can't have Jesus simply because you don't want him. Sometimes our standards don't align with Christ. <clears throat> Sometimes we don't work for him, but the final blow is that we can't have Jesus because we don't even want him. We tell ourselves we want Jesus, but in reality, we, we really don't even want him. Titus 1 says, They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. In works they deny him. You know, I profess that I know God. I profess that I have Christ's standards. I profess that I'm working for the kingdom. But what do my works say? What does my resume say? What does my life, what story does my life tell? Does it tell a story of a man who worked for the kingdom? Does it tell a story of a man who had the standards of Christ? Or do my works deny him? You know, there's been times in my life where I look back now and I go, I would have said I wanted Christ, but I'd have been lying out of my teeth saying that. So why? I say I want Christ. I say I want him, but I, it's not true. Why? Why do I not want him? One reason is because you prefer your life before Christ or you prefer your life if you're not a Christian, you, you just you like it without Christ. Galatians 4 and verse number 8 here, Paul, uh, if we remember in speaking to the Galatians, Paul spent four chapters now, or three and a little bit of another one, trying to get them to forget about the old law and look towards Christ. Paul's been... Uh, preaching it over and over and over again. And now he says, How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But you know, you know what that means? It means before you knew God, you, you had these things in your life, these traditions, these hobbies, or, or whatever it may be, and, and that's what you spent your time doing and, and focusing on and devoting your life to. But now after ye have known God, now you've known God and, and you've seen what Christ does. And you know that you're supposed to follow after him. He says, but now after ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. We've all done this. We're all guilty of this. We, we, we're following Christ. We're, we're a member of his church. We've, we've been saved by Christ. But then we look back at that one part of our life and we miss it. Maybe it was these friends that you have or this place that you went or this activity that you were doing that you shouldn't have been doing. And, and every now and then that creeps back into your life. And that's evidence that you don't want Christ. You want this. I want this. I don't want Christ. You know, I've, I've studied with a couple friends in the past. Ones that uh, some of them asked me to study. And I thought, this is great. And they, they, they tell me, I, I want to be a Christian. I, I want to do, and we sit down and we study. And, 
in both of these instances, I'm, I'm thinking of neither one of them would be baptized. Neither one of them, neither one of them could commit. And, and I, that really was hard for me to, to understand for a while. And, and I realized it, it wasn't anything about Christ. It was about what they knew they had to give up. I knew these guys in particular, I knew that they were not going to be able to live with themselves, be a Christian, and still go and do the things they wanted to do. Still be with the people they wanted to be with and spend time in the places they wanted to spend time in. And we can be the same way sometimes. We say we want Christ and we say we want to be obedient to him, but there's just something that, something that we have trouble letting go of. You can't have Jesus because you don't want him and you don't want him because there's, there's things in your old life that, that you like too much. You can't have Jesus because you don't want him and, and you don't want him because you have other goals in life. Luke chapter 12 says, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? We are familiar with this. I, I read it in a sermon a couple months ago. Uh, skipping down, it says, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich towards God. You, you can't have Jesus and have different goals than Jesus. If your goals don't line up with Christ, then you can't have him. And if we have different goals than Christ, it's evidence that we don't want Christ. That we have a greater desire for other things than we have desire for Christ. That's what this man's problem was, or one of his problems, I guess you could say. He had other things he wanted to do. He had other things that he was working on. Sometimes our lives prove, our lives deny God, our lives deny Christ whenever we look at our goals and we see that our goal is to make a dollar or it's to go do our hobbies and, or spend as much free time alone as we can or what, whatever it is. We realize that we have different goals than Christ. We have different goals than heaven. You can't have Jesus because you don't want him and your life says you don't want him because you have other gods. Philippians 3.19 says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory, whose glo and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. I don't know who your other gods are, what it is that you devote yourself to, Sometimes, whether we want to admit it or not, we got other gods in our life. There's so much that is fighting for our attention and fighting for our time and, and fighting for our devotion and fighting for our attention. And if we give in to those actions, no, no matter what they are, I don't care if it's school or extracurricular activities or your hobby or the Nintendo Switch. If we devote ourselves to anything, if we have some other God that's, that's not the one true God, that's not Christ then we can't have him. Finally, you can't have Jesus because you don't want him and you don't want him because you have too much. You already have it all. I may have told this story once before, but I'll tell it again. Uh, in 2018, in October, I went with dad to Austin, Texas and we did a bunch of door knocking. 
for the church there. And I don't remember, we knocked a bunch of doors uh, with quite a, few, quite a few people helping there. And, and we knocked in some bad neighborhoods, some neighborhoods that I wouldn't want to go in alone. So I mean some rough areas. But you would go and, and somebody would answer the door and they're just the nicest people and they were so friendly and would come out and actually visit with you and have a conversation. It was nice for door knocking. You don't get that very much in door knocking, right? And we had a few flyers left over and we'd done all the areas Ram wanted us to do and so he took us to this other neighborhood in a slightly different part of town and we're talking two-story Really nice houses, $100,000 car sitting outside, big old backyard. There was a lady that was glass blowing. We can't have those hobbies. We don't make enough money to have that kind of hobby. And, and you go and you knock on these doors, and I literally got, somebody opened the door and literally slammed the door on me multiple times, like on three streets worth of doors. Most people wouldn't even come to the door. I had, I had one conversation. I visited with one person out of all those houses I knocked in the nicer neighborhood. And I thought about that for a long time, and I got the idea for this lesson then. And, and as I thought about that, I realized what the issue was there. You can go into these nice neighborhoods with these people, and they got the car, they got the house, they got the job, they got the income, they got the hobbies, they got the friends. They have it all. They have it all. And, and there was nothing... There was nothing that Jesus could do to enhance their life. There, there was no value that Jesus could add to their life because they couldn't see it. They already had too much. They already had too much fun and too much things going on. But when you went to that, those poorer neighborhoods, there were, they need, there were things they needed. There was a hole in their life that, that could be filled. You see, Jesus added value to them. And to know that they could have a Savior, that, that adds value to their life. And some of those people had, had real genuine interest in coming to the church. And if I'm right, two of them did. If not, I know, I know one of them did. You can't have Jesus if you don't want him. And, and you're not going to want him if you have too much. You, you don't want him if you already have it all. Jesus is filling. Jesus fills the voids in your life and, and Jesus can enrich your life. And we have so much and, and I see our life as this cup and, and we pour in our hobbies and we pour in our job and we pour in our family and we pour in our free time and we pour in all these things and our cup's already full and then when it's time to finally pour in Jesus, we go and it's, it's full. And we can't add any of it into the cup because our cup's already full. Matthew 6 says, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You know, I've learned something from Texie. You see her walking around and she goes for the toy. Oh, the toy. <laughs> I've got it. And she sees that toy and it's, it, she wants it and she likes it. And it, it's the greatest thing in her life right now. Here it is. And as she's playing with it, she looks over, oh, there's another toy. And she picks it up, and then she goes, bloop, and she drops the first toy as if, as if she never even knew it existed. I've seen her pick up one toy and love it, and then pick up another toy and hold on to the first one and never, even, never know it was there. Just go on about life with the new toy now. 
forgetting, forgetting all the while. And we have this intellectual gap between us and an infant. And we can, we can see that and we can understand that. But the intellectual gap between me and God is so much farther. And he looks down at me and he goes, Zane, you got the toy. You got it. You're liking it. You're loving it. And then I go on to something else and I pick it and I love it and I forget. And I go on from thing to th- from, from item to item, from hobby to hobby, from master to master, from, from servitude to servitude. I, I go about and, and I wonder if that's how God sees me going, what are you doing? <laughs> you, got, you got all the toys you can play with. No man can serve two masters. We, we can't have our hobbies and we can't put them above God. You can't have Jesus because you don't want him. And you don't want him because you've got, you've got too much going on. So finally, what does it take to have Jesus? One of the problems is we treat Jesus like a possession. We, we treat him like this thing that we can hold. But that's not Jesus. Jesus, Jesus isn't a, an item we hold. He's not a toy that we pick up and that we put down when we need him and when we want to use him. Jesus is more than that. What does it take to have Jesus? Luke 14 and verse number 28, it says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Lest haply after he hath, sit, hath, hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. That would be embarrassing. We don't want to do that. And you go, well, what does this have to do with with having Jesus? What does this have to do with that? And what's so important is not necessarily this verse. This is talking about being a Christian. If if you're going to be a Christian, you need to sit down and count the cost. What is this going to take? What am I going to have to do to be a Christian I got to be prepared ahead of time. What's so important is the verses that right before this and the verses that uh, the verse that immediately follows this. It says, If any man come to me just before this and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He says you can only serve the one master. And if you're going to come and and pick up the one toy and then move on to the other toy, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot do that and have Christ. He finishes off this passage, or it's the the last verse that we're going to read. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. We We have to forsake those other masters, those other gods, those other goals, those other standards, that other work. If you want to have Jesus and, and truly, really have Jesus in your life, you have to forsake all that you have. You don't have to literally hate your father, mother, sister, brother, or your own life. Barnes has notes on this that I liked, and so I, I thought I might include him. He says that you must supremely love Christ He says, Christ must be supremely loved or he is not loved at all. And that's how Christ feels. 
If he doesn't have our supreme love, then he's not loved in our life at all. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. This is, the Bible tells us we have to do this. We need to do this before we give our lives to Christ. We have to do this before we become a Christian. We've got to sit down and count this cost before we build the tower. Before you build that tower and before you give your life to Christ and before you do this, you need to understand that you have to forsake everything you have. Give it up. Philippians 3 gives a better way of explaining this. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. This word here means the most vile substance that you can think of. Does it mean we can't have the hobby? We can't have the Nintendo Switch or whatever it is? It's what I use, so I'm going with it. No, it doesn't mean that. You have to count it, but dung it. If it means it, you have to, you have to be willing to forsake it, to destroy it, to break it. And if it, if it just takes an ounce of your love or your servitude away from Christ, then it has to be destroyed. It has to be forsaken. What are we talking about here? What does it take to have Jesus? In a word, it's devotion. Real, true devotion. Matthew 6, 19 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. I began to think about this verse here recently. He says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. And he tells us why. What happens with things on this earth? They, they, they can corrupt. They can break. Your house can be burned down. It can fall into a sinkhole. It can be blown away by a tornado. It can be broken into and stolen. Time will tear it down. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth because moth and rust corrupt those things. Does that mean you can't have the nice house or the nice car or the good income? doesn't mean that. But don't be surprised when it's taken away. Don't be surprised when it doesn't last. And don't count on those things to last. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. How much treasure do you have in heaven? I got to wondering, how much treasure do I have in heaven? That's kind of the point. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how much treasure I have in heaven. I, I can't count it. It's not physical. There's not an amount. There's not a, anything physical there. But we're told to lay up treasures in heaven. And the point is not the, the treasure that you have. The point is the reason why. Where neither moth and rust doth corrupt. Where thieves can't break through and steal. You see, this verse is not quite as much about having things or, or saving money or building a retirement or building the big house or whatever it is, but it's about your heart. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know why Jesus doesn't want us to lay up treasures on earth? 
Not because he doesn't want you to have things and he doesn't want you to have a good retirement and he, he doesn't want you to be able to go on vacation. He knows you and I. And he knows that whenever we count on those things and whenever we try to build those things up and grow them and, and lay up treasures for ourselves on earth, that you know what's going to take with us? With it? Our heart. That it's going to take our heart with it. But he knows that if, if we're spending time and, and that if we're laying up treasures in heaven, he knows what's going to go with it. Your heart is going to go with it. In closing this afternoon, what kind of devotion do you have? It takes heart. It takes your heart and it takes your devotion to have Christ. And without these things, you can't have Christ. With other goals, with other standards, with no work, with other gods, you cannot have Christ. It takes devotion. You know, there's different kinds of devotion. There's different levels of devotion. There's no devotion. We all know people with no devotion. There's little devotion. We know people with, with little devotion. There's some devotion. We all know people with some devotion. And there's serious devotion. And then there is total and complete devotion. And this is what we must strive for. No devotion looks like this. In John chapter 12 and verse 42, it says, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. You know what? That, that's no devotion. We, we tell ourselves, well, I'm devoted to Christ. I want Christ. But if anything comes up in our life where I might have to talk about him or I might have to show that I love Christ or that I'm devoted to Christ, then I'm going to step away slowly and not say anything. I'm not going to dare say anything to it, to it about him, to my family, to my coworkers, to my friends. There's little devotion. A well-known passage, you probably understand, and it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Oftentimes the people with less devotion certainly think they're the ones that are devoted. Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. But first, he said, Lord, suffer me to go and bury my father. And another said, Lord, I will follow thee, but first let me go bid them farewell which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. No man that, that becomes a Christian and says they're devoted to me and says they're going to go with me and says they're going to work for me and says they're going to have my standards and looks back, and they're not devoted. That may be more than no devotion, but that is little Devotion. Do you have little devotion today? What we, we don't say we have little devotion, but what does our life say? What, what do our works say? Do our works deny God? Do our works show little devotion in our life? Anytime something comes up, well, I'd love to come to church, but I had a beef and bean burrito last night, and I just, my stomach ain't too great. Whatever the problem is. There's people with some devotion Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from our youth. We know the story of the rich young ruler. 
We read it often. He had some devotion. He said, all these things I've done, I've done them all. But he went away sorrowful. He had some devotion. Acts 19 says, And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. And there are people, this is serious devotion, right? This is serious devotion to the Lord. I'm going to take that switch and break it over my knee and I'm going to study instead of doing that. That's devotion. That's serious devotion. And whatever it is that's in your life or that was in your, the old man's life, something that you used to hang on to before you were a Christian, saying I'm going to burn it and destroy it forever, that's devotion. That's serious devotion. And finally, there's total devotion, complete Total and the only kind of real devotion where we pick up where we, where we started. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. That is total devotion. Radical devotion. Complete devotion. And are we willing to do this for Christ? We say we want Christ. I tell you, I want Christ, but am I willing to do this? Whatever it is that stands up in my life to to challenge Christ, am I willing to break it, to pluck it, to destroy it, and to cast it? I think about Stephen. Stephen exhibited total devotion. Stephen was being stoned. Being stoned, and he said, lay not this sin to their charge. That is devotion. That's total, complete devotion. I think about Paul. He he says he was shipwrecked three times. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was broken and bruised. So that he could preach the gospel. So that he could do the work of Christ. That's devotion. That is total and complete devotion. Devotion, and without this devotion, you can't have Christ. You don't have to be in a shipwreck, but you have to be devoted to the same level. And you know what? If it means being a shipwreck, then all right, I can swim. Folks, you can't have Jesus without total devotion and complete devotion thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast if you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on facebook or instagram and send us a message there